getting stuck into the new copper. Welcome to Hand of Pod. to episode 394 of Hand of Pod in my email to uh, everybody. I said it was 395 because I miscounted. Um, I'm Sam Kelly and this week I'm joined by Tony. Hello. And Santi. Hi guys. Now, as you will be aware, probably if you listen regularly anyway, and when they come out, we did not record last week. That was because I was snowed under with work. Um, So I'm going to start with a little service announcement to say that that's possibly quite likely to be a, an increasingly common occurrence this year if uh, the year carries on going like February has been, um, which is why we're recording on a Friday evening this week. So there might be occasional weeks in which Hand of Pod uh, doesn't appear, but we will endeavour to keep it as regular as possible. Um, we are going to go over the first couple of rounds of matches. I'll read you out the scores. I've, I've just remembered that I haven't sent the tweet out asking for listeners' questions yet. So I'm going to read the scores from the first two rounds. And then hopefully either Tony or Santi will have something to say about at least one of the matches. And while they do that, I'll frantically type a tweet out on my phone. Um, the scores in the first round went Banfield 2, Racing 0. I can't remember any of my other predictions from that first round, but I do remember that I predicted that Banfield were going to beat Racing. So that was at least one uh, out of 15 matches for me. Um, Central Cordoba, no, not 15 matches, 13 matches. That sounds more like it. Central Cordoba, nil, Colón de Santa Fe, three. Union, two, Atletico Tucumán, two. Tacheres, one, Patronato, nil. Aldo CB, one, Godoy Cruz, two. Belez Sarsfield 1, Newell's Old Boys 0, San Lorenzo 2, Arsenal 1, Defensa y Justicia 3, Huracán 2, Boca 2, Gimnasia 2, Estudiantes 2, River 1, Rosario Central 2, Argentinos 1, Independiente 0, Lanús 1, and a reminder of course that Platense Sarmiento, as we explained a couple of weeks ago in our last episode, is going to be played at a later date because those two teams were only promoted fairly late on. Um, in round two, last weekend, the matches went Gimnasia 3, Tacheres 0, and um, Gimnasia 1 red card to 2 for Tacheres. Arsenal 0, Banfield 2, Godoy Cruz 0, Estudiantes 2, Lanús 2, Defensa Justicia 1, lots of teams scoring two goals, weren't there? Racing 2, Aldo Civi 2, River 3, Rosario Central 0, Argentinos 0, Platense won in Platense's return to the top flight after 27 years. Uh, and of course, in the Clásico, Sarmiento won, Beres Sarsfield 2, Patronato 0, Independiente 1, Newells 0, Boca 1, Huracán 1, Union 1, Atletico Tucumán 1, Central Córdoba 2, and Colón 2, San Lorenzo 0. What this means is that these standings... Um, after two matches, and as much as they count, I'll just run through the first couple of teams from each one. In Group A, Lanús and Belles both have maximum points. Um, 
two wins from two games and both have scored three goals and let only one in. Gimnasia and Boca, uh, who of course drew with each other in the opening week of matches. Gimnasia were, if I remember rightly, closer to the win, but Boca got a fairly late equaliser. Uh, both have four points um, after two matches. And in Group B, Colón, Banfield and Estudiantes, both, all, all three of them won their first two matches. Um, River, Platense, San Lorenzo, Godoy Cruz, Central Cordoba, Rosario Central, all have one win and one defeat and therefore three points. Actually, that's not quite true. Platense, of course, just have one win, um, but are still unbeaten because they didn't play in the first week. Right then, gents, one of you, please spout some thoughts at us uh, regarding the first couple of rounds of games while I tweet and ask for some listeners' questions. Right. Um, um, I wasn't uh, able to, to well, be on the previous episode. I had uh, something to do, I think, uh, outside, of, outside of home. But uh, I didn't catch, I think, the chance to, to speak, I, I, I think, at length about um, Independiente's preview, let's call it, of, uh, of the season, I guess. And uh, the, and to be honest, uh, I wasn't maybe I wasn't exactly uh, hopeful or optimistic about uh, Independiente's chances for the um, I don't know if the title or well doing basically anything of note I guess in the preview in the in the tournament and uh, my standby i think that that statement after two games even if uh, one of them ended up in a win but uh, the thing is i don't like uh, julio cesar falcioni as an independent manager i respect his career i respect his achievements uh, he has some pedigree as a manager he has won uh, a league title with banfield for god's sake and uh, and reached a, a libertadores final with boca when they hadn't reached one in five years before. But uh, the thing is, he is a huge mismatch uh, for Independiente, for the style of play, for the the track record, the recent track record with managers ever since they got promoted in 2014, uh, which makes even less sense given that just days before he arrived, he was confirmed to arrive. Uh, Pablo Mojano, the, the vice president and maybe one of the most vocal members of the, the, the board, I think, um, had said that they were looking for someone young and uh, with an attacking style of play, which uh, to be denied, to be well de- turned down by Crespo and then the, your first reaction is to go after one of the most uh, conservative and... Uh, I think at this point, the second eldest manager in the first division isn't exactly a sign that you're um, a man of your word, let's say. But And uh, the the first two games, I think, of Independiente actually proved how what a mismatch Falcioni is, to be honest. Um, they played with a very, very low um, five-man back, five back line and... Um, they just gave the ball away every time they could. They just uh, yielded uh, yielded it to their opponents, especially Lanús, who really, really capitalized. And they capitalized also in the least Falcioni way possible, which is on a dead ball situation, which was supposedly one of the main aspects Falcioni was supposed to 
come and fix immediately uh, on arrival. But I mean, you could say that okay, this was the first game, but then in the second game, even if uh, in the Bayente somehow found found the win against Patronato, which uh, to be honest wasn't just a snooze fest, but also a snooze fest in which Independiente barely made any attempts to score. But it's just the fact that Independiente, I mean, they found they find themselves with almost no midfield. Um, they're, even their wingbacks are really, really passive in attack. Silvio uh, Romero is forced to be uh, tracking back 30, 40 meters and then trying to go 50 meters with the ball uh, forwards. I mean, it's the, the team is completely split in two and... Uh, I, I don't know, it will take a while before uh, Falcione finds, I think, his feet uh, with Independiente or even at the very least tries to achieve what he had to. The, the, the transfer market was also really, really underwhelming. Um, only three arrivals, um, two of them just really, really underwhelming, like uh, Insa Urralde, who's 36, and uh, Jonathan Herrera, who comes from playing 60 minutes in the whole uh, Copa Maradona with San Lorenzo, but uh, but yeah, let's see how this goes, and let's just hope it's not uh, the calamitous disaster I predicted to be. Thanks, Santa. Yeah, while you were talking, I was just having a look at um, the average position maps for Independiente's first two games, and yeah, I mean, you said it yourself, <laughs> really, but they, they they back you up. I think there were two players in the who who averaged. Uh, being in Lanús's half for the whole game um, against Lanús, <laughs> which is, I mean, even, you know, it, it, the, the second game looks a bit better, but then when you consider it's against Patronato, no offense meant to Patro, Patronato, but they're one of the weaker teams in the division, um, so it really ought to look a bit better. Uh, I do get the impression that they're not going to concede many goals, but that's what you expect from Falcioni, right? I mean, <laughs> Independiente had the squad. I thought last season to be doing a little bit better, perhaps in terms of entertaining us than they managed to. Uh, and as you say, the the um, philosophy behind appointing the new coach doesn't really seem to have been very philosophical at all. Um, yeah. If I can speak about the other teams, maybe. No, please do, Tony. Yeah. And um, I. I haven't had in the, like, the chance to watch as much as I would like to, but I'm a little bit surprised by Lenus and Vélez. They keep on like believing in their projects, on their ideas, and they're doing fairly well. I mean, they won two games, but they, they it's a little um, a bit of a low sample size to, you know, to make any assumptions, but at least they're trying to keep on building up what they would uh, trying to do in the last in the last year list, um, the other team in Santa Fe is doing well too, um, and Union is trying to do their best. I mean, they're trying to be a little bit more offensive, which I, I'm going to give kudos to to Asconsawal on that. Um, they cannot keep the, the the attacks on shore on the defense like they keep on conceding a lot of goals, but at least they're trying to be a little bit more productive. And I think that the big, the big, big news in terms of uh, the non-big five is Becasese um, coming back to defensive justicia, I suppose. Yeah, I've forgotten about that. Well remembered. 
this happened between weeks one and two. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. because yeah, Defence Eagles DC have played against Lanius in the first week with uh, a caretaker manager whose name I've forgotten. I was going to say, as as you mentioned, Lanius, that um, they were a little bit fortunate to win that match. Really, uh, they it was very much against the run of play, and I, th- I think they had largely the better of it for the first few minutes, and then were under the cost for most of the rest of it, from what I remember. Um, yeah. And I'm trying to work out which order they've played everything in, but this app is not helping me because it claims that they played Independiente before. Is that right? I guess would have Independiente in the first game? Oh, they did, right. Yeah, they beat Lanús. I was looking at the round two match rather than... Sorry, sorry. And thought it was the round one one. But yeah, it's... As you say, I think both them and Bellis kind of got some momentum from the from ending up in the losers group last time around, obviously the participation round um, of the previous Copa de la Liga. Um, but then we're obviously two of the stronger teams in in their group for that. Um, and that's kind of helped them to to push forward. They have put, I think Lanús played Real Pilar as well in the Copa Argentina. Have I got that right? In 1-3-1, which again is expected. But um, sorry, Tony, as you were saying. Oh, no, it's okay. I'm, I also want to... Uh, highlight. I mean, you said the Banfield won the first uh, game of the of the tournament for them, and they did, and they, they won the second. So also, it's a team that is like building up uh, upon what they were doing, which it's it's good. It's good and and like refreshing to see some teams taking some like um, time and space to mm-hmm. grow their projects. Like it's trying to uh, not be that result driven, uh, like in previous years, mm. uh, especially on this kind of teams. And obviously, the the fact that it's no relegation might help with that, <laughs> which is going to be refreshing too. Um, I caught a little bit of Aldo Civi. I think they're trying to play good football, which was a little bit expected under Fernando Gago and and uh, I caught a game against Racing. Um, that that Racing with Pizzi, I'm gonna take over with the spirit of Dan here. But Racing with Pizzi is underwhelming as I was supposed to, I guess. Um, but also, CV showed some some good ideas at least. Like they're trying to execute some some things on the pitch that could be interesting if they ended up uh, having the uh, the time to flesh those out. Yeah, I'll be interested in Aldo CV this season because. Um... Listeners with good memories might remember I mentioned a few times that one of my acquaintances was um, the video analyst at, at River for several years under Gachardo and stopped being that about, I think, about a year or a year and a half ago. Uh, and uh, I saw on his social media the other day that he's now Aldo Civi's video analyst. Um, funny so funny be... enough, I almost had classes with him a year ago. Oh, ah, wow. Okay. Yeah. But he okay, wanted me to go to, to, to the, the Zona Sur. Uh, like yeah, every now in, and then, it was like Banfield, not yeah. gonna happen. <laughs> yeah, that's not gonna happen. <laughs> I, I, I went, I went to his place for for dinner shortly after he moved into that flat, and after that, he was like, "Oh, you should come around, you know, more often. Like, let's let's do this one Friday evening a month." And I was like, "Let's maybe." I, I tried to remain non-committal tonight, <laughs> but it's a very long way to go when you've got to get back at like one in the morning. Yeah, afterwards. and if you don't have a car, it's... yeah. Um, anyway, yeah, especially especially in this time right now when you really can't take uh, can't go anywhere if you don't have a car 
Oh yeah, in lockdown it would be completely out of the question. Yeah. Um, anyway, moving on. I'm not sure how he's getting from from uh, Banfield to Madel Plata for Andor Sibi's training. But... Hopefully not by train. No. <laughs> we shall see. I'll have to ask him. Anyway, uh, moving on from my circle of acquaintances and social life. Um, we should probably, I guess, discuss. I know Santi's going to roll his eyes in particular at this because he always accuses me of being bover. Um, but we should probably discuss <laughs> the other big teams who, who aren't independiente. Um, Tony has already mentioned Racing under PC just being Racing uh, once again and looking deeply underwhelming. Um, San Lorenzo were interesting because they, I thought, got a, a win in a match that. I can't remember it being a real classic, but it was better than I expected it to be against Arsenal um, on the opening weekend um, before slumping rather disappointingly. I haven't seen uh, that match, but the, the scoreline suggests there wasn't very much um, in it against Colón 2-0 uh, last weekend or last, well, this past Monday. Um, but against Arsenal, I thought they looked decent. And Arsenal were you know, one of the better sides in the Copa last season. If our last season, last few months or whatever the hell we're calling that weird little October to January, February interlude. Um, what did you make of them? Did, did, did either of you catch them against Arsenal? Not that or one. against Colón, for that matter. Against Colón, I saw a little bit. Uh, I think the Sarnes still had the same kind of problems where... Um, they get some ideas right on one game and then like they cannot build a platform upon them or uh, above them mm. um, for like a couple of weeks and then they remember again to I mean are, uh, a few weeks before the, before the end of the of the tournament I remember uh, watching the game against Estudiantes what they won uh, I remember that Romero free kick doing that um, and they looked Good. I mean, not nothing reminiscent of, you know, Cryf Netherlands, but it was a good game. Um, but they cannot like sustain that, and it feels like the the it keeps happening. They keep on moving a, a lot of players. They keep on trying different things, different approaches, either on the on the on the dugout or or on the pitch. Uh, transfer windows always seems a little bit messy for San Lorenzo. Like they try to do things in the in the last minute. It's like they never have um, a true way to flesh out anything. They may be good, and the all bad things that start to surround that good things, and it, it, it ended up by the end of the tournament being a meh tournament against Colón. I think that they face a, a team that's organized that it's it has uh, the ideas clear of what they want to do. Uh, Cologne, as you may remember, also had a good end of the tournament last season, uh, doing quite well. Um, and on the contrary to San Lorenzo, they, they went with that form towards the, this season. They added a couple of players that I think are going to be important. And even if Alex Vigo went to River, which was a key part of their defense. So I think it was a logic win between a team that was organized and had the ideas clear. Um, against a team that feels to uh, Mercurial uh, during the last couple of seasons. 
sense, uh, not only on results if you compare season to season, but throughout the season. Yeah, Mercurial is probably right. I get the impression that being a Sun, well, I mean, we all know historically that being a San Lorenzo fan has always been frustrating. Uh, but uh, it, it feels like it would have been particularly over the last year or so. Um, I have just noticed, I'd, I'd forgotten, that Bruno Piton scored um, in the in the win against Arsenal, which means I have another excuse to bring up his goal-scoring record, which long-term listeners will remember. Um, I mentioned when he first signed for San Lorenzo, or shortly after he first signed for San Lorenzo, he had a grand total of three goals in uh, 100, and I'm trying to add it up quickly now, about 104 appearances between Sportivo Las Parejas and Union. Um, and he then scored, it was something like five goals in his opening six matches yeah. for San Lorenzo, followed by a couple more later on that season. Uh, he only got one uh, during the Copa, the last Copa, but he's got another one in two matches already now. So his record for San Lorenzo in total in all competitions is now nine goals in 33 games from left-back, um, which is, I mean, it's not far off an order of magnitude better <laughs> in terms of goals per game than he was before. Um, so he continues to be Bruno Piton goal machine from left-back. Franco Di Santo, <laughs> who was uh, one of the new <laughs> signings, got the other one. And got injured in that match I'm not sure did he play against Colón or is he out I, th- I, I think he didn't I think oh he did he did oh he did okay. uh, he was subbed in the 72nd minute so clearly it wasn't as serious an injury as it looked like um, Boca as I said perhaps a little bit lucky to scramble away with a draw against Team Nasia on the opening weekend not really in terms of the balance of play but just in terms of the fact that uh the equalising goal came quite late. Edwin Cardona making the breakthrough to make it 2-2 when it had looked for large stretches of the second half as if Boca weren't going to be able to get that equaliser. Um, really, I thought that they were you know, the, the better team. I don't think that a win would have would have flattered them too much. But Gimnasia looked pretty well organised. Um, they gave as good as they got. The, the, the possession was completely dominated by Boca. But if you look at the, the shot, numbers and where they were from and stuff in were were creating plenty of chances uh, with their counter-attacking um, and you kind of uh, it, I, I don't really know whether it's worth speculating about you know Maradona having died during the last championship giving him a bit of an extra boost in terms of wanting to do particularly well I'm sure you know footballers always want to win right but you sort of think it'd be nice if they did well this time wouldn't it with no good. I mean, I think that again, without the relegation shenanigans, uh, but even if that was on the table, I think that the first division will be like worse without Gymnasia. It's always like a team that had that, that good tales. I don't want to say history because it's not like the right word, but those those things that happen to them, they're, they're actually unlucky and it, it parts of the DNA of, of the first division. Mm. And I don't know, the thing that deserved to, after the, the long, long years of bad luck, having a break and <laughs> doing well would be a nice change. Uh, maybe not a heartbreak of losing a tournament in the last couple of, of matches, like in the 90s, but, you know, like, doing all right will be a nice break for them. And, yeah. and also, of course, they're the thinking oldest. Thinking about the fans. 
Yeah, yeah. And, and, and they're the oldest club in, in Argentina as well. Well, the oldest surviving football club in Argentina, right. which I think makes them the oldest surviving football club in South America. But I've, I've never managed to find a 100% reliable um, source for that one. But I'm pretty sure that if they're the oldest here right. and they're older than anybody in Uruguay, then that must mean that there isn't going to be another country with an older surviving club. Um, given how long Argentine football has been going on compared with everywhere else on the continent. Um, and then the other of the big five, who we've not mentioned yet, are River, who, as we said, lost to Estudiantes um, on the opening weekend and looked really rather drab, I thought, while watching it. Um, it's a shame that Andres isn't here because he would undoubtedly have more detail to give you than me. Um, but they, they seemed to on the one hand, dominate the ball and dominate the chances, but on the other, none of them really felt like particularly great chances. Um, it did look like they were going to win anyway for, for quite a long time. Uh, Matias Suarez opened the scoring in the 62nd minute, um, but then Maron Diaz equalised about 15 minutes after that, and Gimnasia won it with almost the last kick of... Uh, Gimnasia Estudiantes won it with almost the last kick of the game, or the last header of the game, I should say. Um to spark the celebrations. Uh, but River did look a lot more focused and on their game against Central, albeit Central went down to 10 men after... Oh, no, River were already 2-0 up. In my memory, this was really early on in the first half, but I've just checked and uh, it came 13 minutes into the second half, the red card, um, by which time River were already 2-0 up um, and were able to... Yeah, see the game out from there, really. Nicolas de la Cruz looks very good, uh, which might help to calm a few nerves at River um, regarding the Ignacio Fernandez saga, which I'm not sure where it's at at the moment, I have to be honest. Is he uh, gone? He's just yes. signed for Atletico Mineiro. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. Just, just before San Paolo left, in fact. Ah, well, right. Uh, so he, he is off. Or he is, well, he's left already. Um, so De La Cruz really is, is going to be, he's been an important player for River for some time now, but he's going to be even more important. Um, Agustin Palavecino, who we mentioned a couple of weeks ago, is one of the new signings, looked all right when he came on against Central, I thought. Jorge Carrascal looks as frustrating as ever. <laughs> Just I'm never, about, never uh, do anything uh, in three touches if you can do it in 27. <laughs> Just run yourself down a blind alley. He's an infuriating player. Wow. Um, I also want to say that uh, I remember Palavicino because yesterday um, I, for some reason, I gave a class on a Columbia University about scouting and video analysts. And one of the examples I wanted to check if, if Palavicino, in terms of um, stats and number uh, benchmarked to Argentina, if, if he will be like a good replacement for Nacho Fernandez. So kudos to River because that was actually a good scouting. The numbers are so similar that if you look at all the numbers without thinking of or without the, the names on it, you it will be super hard for you to to know which is which. So it's it's a good thing for River that doing smart buys instead of like buying because of. Uh, the name like Boca, <laughs> the, yeah, the way that the, the two teams are run are very different. 
Yeah, it's it's a it's a big summer of change, I think, for River because um, not just the, the with the departure of uh, of Nacho Fernandez, also the um, there is also this big saga around uh, Rafael Santos Borré about his future, whether he he renewed his contract or not. He just uh, declined an offer from Palmeiras, which was supposed to be really really uh, lucrative, I think. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I think River are really building up. I think finally building up for the for the change of guard from a lot of players who are looking to either leave or retire. For example, um, I think Alex Vivo from Colón in particular was uh, a buy that was uh, geared towards the future sale of uh, Gonzalo Montiel, for example, who actually yeah, was... or even Pinola retiring. Exactly, exactly, and. Uh, For example, well, Montillo was actually supposed to, to leave to, I think, Lyon or Villarreal, and he, the ball well, that move never materialized. And uh, I think that's going to be actually good for both because it will actually give Vigo uh, the chance to, to just um, sit this first six months and trying to just relieve some of the pressure off before he eventually takes that uh, position as his. But uh, yeah, yep. River were by far the most uh, active team in. In the in this transfer market and uh, and yeah they sh surely surely look like one of the big candidates I think for for this uh, Copa. It's not only about being active. I think they they did their homework, which sometimes is a bit a bit difficult in Argentina or in South America. Like you you just either get a a player they had a good semester or a good year. That's something that for example Boca does a lot. In the last 20 years, uh, from like the, the likes of uh, Guillermo Marino, if someone is old enough to remember him, um, or, or those kind of players that I know that they have a good season, a good Cruz, Mules, Pacheres, and they never quite get the same level of performances. While River is doing well in that regard, like they're clever about it. They think about the age. They think about the uh, a way to measure performances and what platform can they give to the players to, to maintain that that level. So kudos to to River definitely. Racing has been doing that for a couple of years until Milito will left, and, and it's it's the same idea. So that's that's good to see. Yeah, yeah it's the same kind of approach that's gone. Now they've gone and signed uh, Nacho Piatti and Ezequiel Esqueloto after like. Six yeah. months of inactivity. Yeah. It's, it's the same kind of approach that I, I find always works well in football manager where you just scout the shit out of a player for as long as you can possibly bear to to, to go without signing him um, because then you know them inside out already. Um, right. Just going back to Nacho, I, I remember when he signed for River at a point where obviously I was watching because of my job writing betting previews, was watching pretty much every match in the Primera every weekend when there was a 30-team league it was quite exhausting um and seeing a lot of river fans afterwards on twitter when it was announced saying no who is this guy he's just been playing for gimnasia and thinking you've obviously not been watching gimnasia's matches because he's going to be brilliant um and you know sure enough i think during the time he's been at river he's you know averaging out those seasons he's probably been the best player in argentina over that time um that's not a particularly original opinion it's an opinion that, that lots of people have been saying on the on the tv now that he's uh well, in the build-up to him signing and indeed now that he's signed. Um, but it's an opinion that I predicted. So I'm going to allow myself yeah. to feel a little bit smug when he first signed for <laughs> River. 
Um, yeah, actually, it, it, it's going to be really hard now to find an actual answer to who's the best player in Argentina right now. Because, I mean, Nacho Fernández was always the go-to player to name in that category. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's going to be off for grabs. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Uh, we have got the next round of matches just starting now, by the way. I've got Defensa Justicia versus Patronato on my TV, um, which, according to Fox Sports Premium, is taking place in the Liga Profesional de Football, which is not the case. Somebody needs to tell the broadcasters. Um, but apparently Aldo Sibi versus Arsenal has already kicked off and it's nil-nil after three minutes. Um, so there you go. There's a thrilling up-to-the-minute piece of information that will be out of date before we go very much further. Um, yeah, it's cool. It's cool. So it might, be, it might be a good game to watch, uh, to be honest, I think. Yeah, I wanted to see how Defensio Justicia did because I didn't see them last weekend after they lost in the opening game to... I said Lanús, didn't I? I've already done this. I should be able to remember. Yep. Uh, yep. No, sorry, they, they beat Huracan um, in that opening match. Um, why have I got the idea that Lanús versus Defensi Justicia took place in the opening weekend? That's the second time I've done that. It's very confusing. Um, but anyway, yeah, I want to see how they can bounce back from that. Um, in terms of the teams with the least impressive starts, I'm just looking at the ones who've got zero points after playing two matches. Patronato... Newell's in Group A and Argentinos in Group B. Have we seen anything from any of them, if indeed we've seen them, gents, um, to suggest that they're not going to have quite long and torrid seasons? Well, let's be quite honest. Patronato should not be in the first division and uh, he they've been scraping just above the relegation zone for about two or three years or um, above the needs for relegation altogether. So, I mean, it's a real mystery as to how they are still a top division team. But for for anyone who at least hasn't been following Argentine football and just stumble across a, a Patronato game. But, uh, well, even against Independiente, they, they looked like they had no intentional desire to just uh, look to the other goal. Even if Independiente just gave, them, gave the ball away to them constantly, they just didn't know what to do with it it's uh well at the very least I'm, i mean i've only seen this one game but uh it's still a mystery as to why patrato still are in in the top league in argentina to be honest with probably five or six better teams fighting for promotion every season from the primera nacional because any any good league needs some some interiano representation that's the only, <laughs> that's the only answer <laughs> Yeah, sorry if I if I hurt your Interriano uh, sensibilities, but no, it's alright. They're awful. But <laughs> I'm just wondering whether Newells are going to be any better. I mean, I, so far they've played Boca and Belles, if I'm not mistaken. Um, which, when you look at the standings, given that you know Boca, Boca, um, and and Belles are one of the teams who've who've won both of their opening two games, it, it starts to look like that could be an actually quite unfortunate draw. So maybe Newell's will have a little bit more to show us. Um, but anyway, how long have we been recording for? Half an hour. Right, I think we're going to call a break now. When we come back, we're going to discuss the um, announcement this week of uh, one or two things to do with the Copa America 2021. Tony's going to fill us in on how Argentina got on in the She Believes uh, Cup. Oh, yeah. Trophy? <laughs> I'm not sure what it is. Anyway, 
I hope you're sitting down when you hear about it because it's not going to be pretty listening. Um, and we're going to answer some listeners' questions, so don't go away. Welcome back. Um, the Copa America is taking place this year, apparently, in spite of all of this happening. Um, <laughs> waving arms expansively as I say it. Quata um, and Australia have both pulled out of it. Um, apparently in Australia's case, it wasn't to do with COVID, but was to do with uh, the fact that the fixtures would clash with their World Cup qualifiers. Uh, obviously in Quata's place, in case it very much was to do with COVID, which means that we have, for the first time since 1991, a Copa America consisting only of CONMEBOL teams, which is tremendously Don't be exciting. So sure. No, really? Don't They're not so going to invite sure. someone else. They, they've already announced the structure. I mean, actually, um, there have been reports that uh, they try to approach India, which India. is pretty stupid because, I mean, of course India are going to say no because they would you have the same exact issue as Qatar and Australia. So, yep. I mean, it's it's completely pointless. Well, Qatar well, don't have sure qualifiers, we're... of course, so it's not exactly the same issue. But, yeah, I hadn't heard this. Yeah. That, that's, this is bizarre. On, on shower thoughts, I, I was thinking, remember when the teams, the national team had B-teams and Mexico had the Gold Cup of CONCACAF? And yeah, Mexico's under-23s came, didn't they? yeah. Yeah, in 2011, I think that was. Yep. Wait if I'm not mistaken. And actually, if you look back at some of those names, they are a pretty decent squad. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I cannot vouch about the other two trials of Qatar, but... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, looking very, very very quickly at, uh, at that uh, Mexico squad, you have uh, Gio Los Santos, for example... Um, you have Alan Polido, right. yeah. you have Diego Reyes, uh, Oribe Peralta. It was, a, I mean, it was mostly very, very young, I think, players for for their age back then. But uh, well, I mean, it, it wasn't exactly that bad of a squad. I mean, they they did crash out of the group, but uh, yeah, they had pretty promising players back then. So uh, the question for me will be: if we cannot have Asian teams because of different reasons if having a B team of another confederation is not a bad it's not a good idea because we can also have CONCACAF team I saw the the, the calendar for CONCACAF today and we'll clash too which options do we have like invite Cyprus um, Malta San Marino what are the options no just don't invite yeah. anybody don't don't don't. But Just Sam, play with the South American team. You're not going to have that many games. You're not going to have that international uh, international appeal for the Copa America. Think about the TV rights. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, yeah, because everybody in we all, we all Europe want and across this, Asia uh, two group, and Australia. Ten team, ten team, two groups of five Copa America. But what about the number of games? No, I think it'll be better <laughs> for it. Too few, too, too few games, you know, to watch. This I is, think it'll be this better is Santi for and me. Santi and me playing 
devil's advocate right yeah i realized that yeah um the groups uh just to remind you all since we last discussed this then without australia and quetta and assuming that this does go ahead as conmebol announced it was going to a couple of days ago but as uh we've just had a reminder from from the other two that can never be assumed up until the first game actually kicks off um uh, Argentina, Bolivia, Uruguay, Chile and Paraguay. That's the group that will be played in Argentina, of course. And Colombia, Brazil, Venezuela, Ecuador and Peru. Now, I seem to remember before that when we talked about this and it was going to be two teams of six, it was going to be the top two teams from each group going into the semi-finals. And one thing that I read earlier in the week after Comebol made their announcement and which might help to create a couple more matches is that the top four teams from each group are going to go into the quarterfinals, um, which, of course, means that only one team will be eliminated <laughs> after a group stage consisting of four rounds of matches, uh, which feels yeah, a bit silly, but uh, it wouldn't be the Copa America the if it was silly. Yeah, I don't think it's going to be the case if uh, we, we are going to have uh, two teams of two groups of five. I think the most the most logical way to go with it is just instead of a quarterfinal, just have a semifinal. But I think they're going to try and uh, find two teams to join the tournament anyway. That's my yeah. guess, at least. Yeah. I don't know. It's just Faroe. I don't care. Like... Well, we'll see. The hey, quarters, well, hey uh... watch out. The Faroe Islands are doing pretty, pretty good in the last couple uh, qualifiers, I think, in Europe. So doesn't, doesn't Gibraltar have a team? I mean, they do. They are shit, but they do. Maybe, I mean, the Gibraltar would be a better team than Gibraltar, I think. Yep. Another thing I've just noticed from looking down the Wikipedia page is I could swear that before the final was going to be at the, well, at the Bombonero, the one in Mental, but somewhere in Buenos Aires. Well, and apparently it's, it's now going to be in Barranquilla. Yep. You know the story about that, right? No. The story about that, that was that... Uh... Argentina will give the, the final of the Copa America to Colombia. Oh, of course. In I exchange of yeah. Colombia's support of the Women's World Cup uh, being held in Argentina, that never happened. Uh, Colombia actually got to the final uh, stages of that, um, you know, peak of, of the World Cup that eventually went to Australia and New Zealand. So the AFA gave away the final for a tournament they decided eventually, weeks later, not organized. Uh, and Colombia will have everything. <laughs> yeah. Good planning as ever there from the AFA. Exactly. Uh, the stadiums, in case anybody cares, will be the Monumental. Um, the Bombonera is not on there, so I must have been imagining that or misremembered. Uh, the Mario Kempes in Córdoba. The Estadio Ciudad de la Plata in La Plata. Uh, the Malvinas Argentinas in Mendoza. And the Estadio Único which is the big white elephant stadium that looks absolutely gorgeous and is going to be used about five times a year in Santiago del Estero. Um, and in Colombia, the Metropolitano Roberto Melendez in Barranquilla, which will host the final. El Campín in Bogotá, obviously. The Olimpico Pascual Guerrero in Cali. And the uh, uh, this is one of my favourite stadium names in the continent, but I always trip over it. The At- Tanasio Giraldot Sports Complex in Medellin. Um, so five stadiums in Argentina, four in Colombia. Uh, 
And again, as I say, the quarterfinals are new and just are going to mean that the group games are going to get very, very dull very, very quickly for anybody who wins like their first two games because then they won't have anything to play for in the next two. Um, I can see teams going through with one draw and a bunch of losses, actually, with that kind of setup. But anyway, Tony, uh, speaking of a bunch of losses, how did the She Believes (laughs) Cup go for Argentina? Oh, so bad, so bad. So, so, so bad. And it started like way before the, the, the ball was in, in moved in the games um, because the squad was announced and suddenly uh, Argentina had to find some replacements um, because some of the other players were tested positive upon arrival just in case AFA did test them before leaving. They were negative. So I don't know what happened in the plane. Um yeah, so they had to scramble. First, it was Vanina Correa that dropped out before leaving Spain um, with with COVID. Um, that the goalkeeper cannot like catch a break because he he just went out. She just went out from uh, a broken leg. Um, it was Janina Sosa from Racing that was called up, and when she arrived, she was tested positive. So Laurina Oliveros had to travel to arrive in the same day as the debut against Brazil to be on the bench. Um, they, I mean, the, the games were horrid from the Argentina, Argentina perspective. The best one was against Brazil. They, saw, they showed some fight. They showed some uh, attempt at playing football, like attacking football. Um, but things were more defensive and deeper and deeper. And the, the legs starting to show really, really tired by the end where they lost uh, 6-0 against the reigning champions United States, which was a loss that everyone knew it was going to happen. Um, but when you had that, you had 12 touches in the position half and none in the box, um, I guess it's clear how Argentina or the Argentinian coach wants the team to play. Uh, most of the times, Fale Jaimes was alongside Vanessa Santana in the in the holding midfielder position. I'm not I'm not kidding. Um, it, it's incredible. I have no idea how the team was playing. And if you add that the best player of the team, Lorena Benitez, got uh, a rupture ACL in the game against Canada, I mean, it's a nightmare situation on, on those three games. Sorry, I was scrambling to find the mute button, uh, unmute button there. Um, you're not too happy with Carlos Borrello. Tony. I mean, I know you haven't been for some time, but are we ever going to have anybody coming for, putting themselves for, being looked for by the AFA as a replacement, or is he basically in a job for life? Because it feels like he's been there forever. And while getting to the last World Cup and, and the performances, if not necessarily the results at the last World Cup, were um, tremendously encouraging in some ways, it doesn't feel like there's any kind of progression at a point in time where so much else about women's football in Argentina feels like it's moving forward quite rapidly. Um, <clears throat> we were discussing with Santi this before we, we started recording. Uh, he doesn't like, I don't think he's afraid of leaving the job, of being sacked, because no one in Alpha cares that much to, to actually think, okay, this is the end of the cycle. This is as far this, this guy can take the team. We need someone else. 
there's obviously a lot of, a lot of coaches that surely are interested in, in taking the reins and do something better or trying to move the team to another direction, taking a more professional way. There's other stuff around the Relo that we can discuss in length. It takes another podcast, believe me. But yeah, I think it, the problem there is the AFA doesn't actually care that much uh, to, to change uh, the direction of the team. The team, I think if the team doesn't regress or if the they keep showing their fight, it's because of the players. There are some mixed messages sometimes. I mean, sitting your team this deep and, and ask the players to play, it's like, so what do you want? Do you want me to be offensive or do you want me to be like uh, park the bus? And yeah, I mean, most of the, the, the narratives surrounding this was that they were, he wanted to the team to have some experiences uh, with bigger teams, with, with more competition and whatnot. But if you don't try new things, if you are not daring in these opportunities, there are friendlies against better teams, when? That's that's my question. I mean, you could have lost, I don't know, 6-0 against Brazil. But this you're trying new things. You're encouraging the players to play. You're trying to try new things. But that doesn't happen. He's just trying to avoid an embarrassing defeat, park the bus, and, well, let's let's try to do the best with the players that we have. Um, so those mixed messages are a little bit confusing, uh, at least. Yeah, yeah. Um... I mean, I, I just keep going back to uh, the World Cup and those last, what was it, like the last half hour or something against Scotland, where you right. got this sense of, I mean, this is what they could do if they were let off the leash. Imagine if they'd been allowed to to try and play like that for the, the opening few matches. Maybe they, you know, might have managed to get out of the group. Um, right. I mean, they might have done if they'd been allowed to play like that for the opening hour of that match, to be perfectly honest. Um and yeah, it just it is, I guess, a bit frustrating. Obviously, you don't want to go down the route necessarily that the AFA take with the men's team, where everybody takes it far too seriously, and yet at the same time, in another way, not at all seriously, because uh, right. they don't do anything <laughs> properly. Um, but you know, how many different managers has the men's team had during Borello's current spell in charge, which began? I've just looked this up. Like I'm not nine? saying it from memory. <laughs> it's, it's, it's from July 2017. Um, was when he last took charge, but obviously before that, I mean, he, he was yeah. in charge 1998 until 2012. Is that? Yeah, yep. bloody hell, 14 years. Um, and yeah, I mean, I guess you can stagnate in your position there, can't you? Yep. Um, yeah, that's that's the sense that we all have. I mean, we cannot, we can agree or disagree on in the terms of of. Um, how the, the managing the, the players are missing but when the, the matches are happening there is a lot of, that can be uh, improved if things go to other other ways also some if uh, I can do it quickly next week uh, we have the start of the Copa Libertadores Femenina I don't know if we're going to record before the start so I'm going to go super quick if you want to mm. please do yeah yeah, and uh, it's going to be played in both Modon and Belles Stadium. It's going to last for a couple of weeks from the 5th of March until the 21 of March. Uh, we have two Argentinian teams. We are Boca, there are Boca and River. Uh, and the, the groups were draw uh, a couple of days ago. In Group A, we have Corinthians, El Nacional Universitario de Peru, and America de Cali. On Group B, 
a really tough crop for Poca, Santiago Morning, Deportivo Tropico from Bolivia, and Kinderman Abai. So Poca, the reigning champions from Argentina, are going to face the champions of Chile and the um, vice champions of Brazil. Uh, in Group C, we have Santa Fe from Colombia, Atlético from Venezuela, Atlético SC, uh, River Plate, and Sol de America, which is a interesting group. I think River should do better than they were defending against Peñarol in a, in a friendly this weekend when they draw 4-4. And in the last group, we have Ferroviaria from Brazil, Libertad from Paraguay, Peñarol from Uruguay, obviously, and Universidad de Chile. This is far from the most incisive comment um, of even of Hand of Pod's history, uh, but Deportivo Tropico is one of my favourite club names in world football. I, I just I only came across that myself a few days ago when you sent the, the, the group list to the Hand of Pod WhatsApp group. I just, I love it. It doesn't even sound real, to be honest. <laughs> Do we know where it's from? Is it a sponsor like some of the other women's teams, Formas Intimas and that lot, or is it? Not that I know a of. club name. Because I really <laughs> like it. They, they don't seem to have a Wikipedia page, slightly annoyingly. I've just clicked on last no, year. Did you have a Facebook? Did you have a Facebook that are from Cochabamba and they have 121 likes? <laughs> Very nice. Um, let's see whether we've had any listeners' questions. I need to get my the correct mobile browser up here, the one that I'm actually going to stand up on Twitter on. We have. <clears throat> Fantastic. Let's see what they are. Um, huh, right, okay, we're getting started with a nice topical one from David Novoshevsky, who says, how is the vaccine rollout going in Argentina? Is there any chance of fans at matches before the end of the Copa? Right, so the answer to that is that the vaccine has been rolled out to health workers um, and to people who are friends with the health minister. Uh, or the former health minister because he was sacked for making sure his mates got some um it's currently being administered i think i'm right in saying currently but if not then it's you're currently able to register for it uh if you are over 80 years of age um the health minister was sacked because he helped a, a friend who was 79 years of age to get it and that friend was a journalist who then went on the radio and said he'd had it the next day so i don't know when he was trying to maybe not as much of a friend as he thought he was but uh anyway um Obviously, being down here outside the first world and quite a long way away from the first world geographically, um, as well as uh, metaphorically, um, things are going to be a little bit slower. We don't have the same number of vaccines available at the moment as, for instance, the UK does um, or the United States. But a bunch of them are going to be being manufactured here for the rest of the continent so when they do start getting rolled out they'll start getting rolled out probably here in large numbers before most of the rest of spanish-speaking south america um sorry before the end of this um go on tony yeah do you know when that when that production is going to start i keep reading march but march is next week um, i'm hearing very little Technically, it should be in two years because because they have to build the facility. Oh, really? Yep. That sounds like money laundry to me. <laughs> Interesting. Right. Um, we shall see. Um, so before the end of the Copa de la Liga, uh, I can't really see much of a chance. Conmebol are claiming at the moment that they for the Copa America that they're going to allow fans who've been vaccinated and slash or have a negative test certificate um 
into the stadiums up to a capacity of 30% so that the people who've opened the stadiums for the games can cover the cost of doing so. Um, now, that sounds to me like a recipe for disaster, given that lots of people are just going to fake vaccine certificates, aren't they, if they do that? Um, so we'll see. But, you know, don't hold your breath is my advice. Perfect Tommy says Paramount Plus purchased the English language streaming rights for the Liga Profesional and the Brasileiro, among many others. How do I convince my friends to watch? Um, tell them about this podcast, Tommy. If they don't want to watch after listening to nearly 400 episodes of Hand of Pod, then I can't see what else is going to convince them. Paul, um, tell them uh, how the Brasileiro ended this season, actually yesterday, which was absolutely insane. To be honest, hmm. I actually replied to Tommy with with the own words from the president of AFA with two little pictures, uh, so people know how to handle that. This tweet the has pic- just reminded me that RuPaul's Drag Race is going to be on Paramount Plus in the future as well, which is a bit annoying because it's also not available here. But I'll just carry on torrenting it, given that it's not broadcast anywhere here. Uh, anyway. VPN, VPN can help you. It always helps. Also, no, no, yeah, Netflix. We, we've tried streaming it, and the streaming websites just freeze every five seconds. But if I torrent it, we can just go do it from the hard drive nice and smoothly, so it's much easier. I shouldn't be admitting this on an internationally broadcast podcast, should I? Can cut this. <laughs> no one's going to imagine. Hey. Mind. No, um, no, it was on Netflix, but they don't have the current series anymore, Santi. They, they broadcast, Netflix put out, I think it was series 10. I'm looking at my girlfriend for confirmation here. Twelve. Twelve. Yeah. Was it last year's? Anyway. Yeah. Girlfriend reckons it was series twelve. Uh, got put on Netflix the day after being broadcast in the United States, which was great. But um, everything else, not so. N- no, the new ones aren't. Um, right. Next reply was from Arch Bell. Oh, this one's for you, by the look of it, Santi. Early thoughts on the Falcioni era at Independiente. Still seems like a puzzling hire to me, considering they're young attacking players. Arch, basically agreeing with what we said at the start of the podcast, really. But Santi, do you have anything further to add? Well, uh, by the looks of it, uh, actually, Tony doesn't want to hear me speak about Falcioni any longer. So I'm not going to repeat myself, to be be quite honest. Uh, I mean, I, I don't know what else is there to say about it. You're absolutely spot on. It's really, really mismatched. And... Uh, in the early signs are not working at all. So, well, surprise. Indeed, yeah. Jamie says, are Banfield and Gimnasia suddenly the two most exciting teams in Argentina? Um, we're only two games in, but they've started well. Uh, and as Tony says, Banfield at least are you know, building on something that they started last last year as well so that's encouraging yeah they, they picked up where they left off and they were they came mightily mightily close of uh toppling Boca and uh yeah I mean I, I really fancy them to go far I think in this uh in this cup yeah uh Jamie adds I know there's only two games gone but they finished the last campaign strongly too and Galopo for Banfield looks a player flame emoji uh he does I actually meant to mention him earlier on when we were talking about Banfield, but then the conversation moved on from them before it, uh, before the microphone got back to me, as it were. Um, but he has now scored uh, six or seven goals for them, I think it was. And apparently his dad played for them um, and was, I'm guessing, was a more defensive player than Giuliano Galoppo, who's a striker, was. 
because he scored, I think, eight. And after the match last weekend, the, the interviewer was asking him, you're one away from equaling your dad. Are you going to get there? And he was like, yeah, I'm going to try. Um, but he has, he'd started really well. Um, that's it. Those are all the questions for this week. So thank you very much for asking them. I'm going to have to do Mystic Sam now, aren't I? I guess. There was none last week, of course. Um, but I will now have a few seconds of silence so that I can put some lovely music in for you. And then we will go through what I think is going to happen in the weekend that is already underway. Don't go away. Okay, this weekend, Defensa Justicia versus Patronato and Aldo Sibi versus Arsenal are both still nil-nil with about half an hour played. Defensa Justicia, Patronato kicked off a couple of minutes later, but um, I'm going to go for Defensa Justicia to win their match and for Arsenal to beat Aldo Sibi. I've just realised I'm predicting against my mate there, uh, but never mind. Um, Argentinos versus Vélez I think that's later on this evening will have been played by the time this goes out I think that ought to be um, potentially a, a, I, I always say this when Argentinos play Vélez don't I? potentially a decent match but I think Vélez will win it uh, on Saturday Tacheres host Newells and I think Tacheres will win that given Newells unfortunate start um, Banfield to beat Colón is that a clash between two of the teams who are that's interesting. Of course it is, yes. Yeah. Two of the teams who won both of their first opening matches. Um, I think that Banfield will win that one, though. Independiente versus Gimnasia. Sorry, Santi, but I think Gimnasia will get a win there. San Lorenzo versus Central Córdoba. I think will be a San Lorenzo win, but you never know, as we've said earlier on. Platense versus River. The plate derby, which it's not called, but they are two of the teams with the closest stadiums locations probably now in the top flight um, given that Platense is really not very far away at all from the Monumental at least until Defensor de Belgrano gets promoted yeah <laughs> I'm sure or Excursionistas um, which is probably quite some time further away than Defensor is coming up um, I'm going to go for River to win that one it's not a very original call but it's the call I'm making Estudiantes versus Racing will be an Estudiantes win um uh, Boca versus Sarmiento. I'm going to go for a Boca win there. And then on Monday evening, Union versus Lanús. I almost said Union versus Santa Fe. Then I'm not concentrating. Union versus Lanús will be, sorry, Tony, a Lanús win. Central versus Godoy Cruz is going to be a Rosario Central win. Although actually neither of them started. They've both got a win and a draw so far, but I think Central will, will get by. Um, and Atletico Tucumán versus Huracán. We haven't mentioned either of those two teams or podcast, have we? I'm going to have to very quickly look at where they are. Um, they also have... Oh, they've both got one draw and one loss, so that's probably, of all of the matches um, coming up, the one that both you should against think about missing. Pardon? Both draws uh, from Atletico Tucumán and Huracán were against Union. Uh, okay, yeah, of course they were. Um I'm going to go for them both getting another draw in that match because I think that that one will be a draw. Um, so, most entertaining games of the weekend to me look like probably Banfield versus Colón, which Maybe. makes sense, doesn't it? Platense versus Riba. I, I was 
quite impressed. I didn't catch all of Argentinos versus Platense last weekend. I only caught the highlights. But uh, on their comeback and you know return to the first division after so many years, all this pressure and it's a derby. Um, so getting a win, even if it was a slightly scrappy one, I was impressed with. So it'll be interesting to see how they get on against um, one of the strongest teams in the continent. Um, and then if, if Racing decide to actually turn up, Estudiantes versus Racing could be interesting, but I'm not going to hold my breath for that. Just in case. No. Any thoughts from you two about which games look best? I do agree with Banfield and Cologne. I think there are two teams on form. They're going to hopefully put some entertaining. I hope I'm not with them. Uh, with that. Um, I would like to see what can happen between Tacheres and Newell. So two teams that should do a little bit better. Uh, especially the Shedders. I know that they sold a couple of players that are important, but there is something to build up on that. So I think that they, it would be a good team to, to see if a win in this game could maybe help take off finally. Yeah, and at the same time, if Newell's lose, then that's going to be three, three, three defeats on the trot for them. And I mean, it starts to look a little bit desperate then as well. Yep. Um, so they're going to be, hopefully, they're going to have some fight and make things interesting as well anyway thank you very much for listening uh we will try i will try to uh have the time to record and produce another episode next week so hopefully you will hear from us again next week um but for now it's thank you very much and goodbye from tony goodbye santi bye guys and from me thank you and goodbye (laughs) 